0: Hey y'all, this episode of The Sleeper and the Bust is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 17, the most authentic baseball strategy game ever made. This is the Out of the Park Baseball you've been waiting for. Not only does Out of the Park Baseball 17 feature its trademark immersion into hard, hardball strategy and management experience like no other game out there, including nearly 150 years of baseball history in a single package, but it also now includes the MLBPA license for the first time, along with the returning MLB.com license. This means all the real teams, players, logos, ballparks, and more. I mean, you seriously cannot get more authentic than this. There are so many community-driven features added this year, too, that we can't even list them all. But some of the highlights include accurate 2016 opening day major league rosters, accurate major and minor leagues with authentic names, logos and rosters dating back over a century. I hope you all understand how incredibly awesome that is. I mean, this is a great game that you can already get replay value from with the historical context, and now you're getting the real players, the real minor leaguers. This is We're talking Michael Jordan on the Birmingham Barons. We're talking Russell Wilson on the, uh, I think it's Asheville Tourists. Again, there's also all-new historical exhibition mode that lets you realistically play teams from any year and era against each other in a single game or series. Accurate representation of 2016 MLB faces, showing their emotions and aging over time thanks to the MLBPA license and face gen technology. Beautiful improved visuals on and off the field, and again, so much more that we can't even get to. Even better, if you pre-order now, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com and clicking on the pre-order banner. Then you enter the code SLEEPER17, S-L-E-E-P-E-R-1-7, at checkout. And not only do you get a discount, but also help support Sleeper in the Bust. Indie sports, video game development, and all the people who, bring, who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 17. It's really kind of a win-win-win a, a situation at that point. Once again, that's OOTPdevelopments.com. Click on the pre-order banner. Then enter the code SLEEPER17 at checkout for a special discount to support the show. Episode 315 of the Sleeper and the Bust. It is Leap Day 2016. I'm your host Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, Happy Leap Day, buddy.
1: Oh, that's what it is.
0: Yes, the 29th.
1: Well, I'm glad we have the, this day today because yes, I'm, I don't I'm, want it, it from, to turn to March. I, I, I need I need this day. I could take to...
0: 38 days of February <laughs> yeah. before we get to March. I'd be all right with that. Just because
1: March is just crazy time gonna, for all of yep. all of you guys listening too. You know, it's just it, a, it's
0: total bananas. Uh, yeah, I, I I could take at least three more days, if not eight or nine more days of February. But we're only gonna get one. That's all right. We've got plenty of baseball to talk about. You know, want to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter at spore at you Got a couple of uh. I'm I'm gonna get your thoughts on the Desmond move. Uh, Jason and I talked about it last night, but I do want to get your quick thoughts on it. And then one thing I kind of missed in terms of a transaction. Uh, when we, when Jason and I were talking about Fowler was the Chris Coghlan deal that kind of set it up, uh, and, and got rid of some of the clutter there. We didn't get a chance to talk about that. So you and I will talk about that. Then in the strategy section, we're going to talk OBP versus average leagues, dive into that a little bit. And, uh, then we might be able to get into preview an upcoming potential piece for you that has some really interesting information on sinker usage as it relates to potential injury. So stay tuned for that for sure. As I mentioned first, couple of transaction issues, or items rather, Chris Coghlan was traded to Oakland for Aaron Brooks straight up, again, to kind of alleviate some of the clutter in the outfield there uh, since they signed Dexter Fowler. I was pretty impressed with what Coghlan did last year, and then to hear him talk about it with Mike Petriello was really interesting. He completely changed his tune on what wins and what is successful to helping a team, uh, understanding that batting average, you know, he he kind of grew up hearing that it was everything, but that in the end it was OBP and slug that really, uh, you know, drive the numbers and and move runs across the plate. So I think Chris Coughlin is kind of a sneaky play if he's going to get some playing time out in Oakland. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, as a as a lefty who's been platooned, the the ceiling isn't very high. And as a guy who, you know, in the years where he doesn't have a a plus Babbitt, for the most part, he's been he's really oscillated. You know what I mean? It's like he's really been really nice and useful in some years and then just really putrid and and not usable at all.
0: I I honestly feel like you almost have to split 2009-2013 against 2014-2015 as two different kind of careers because he's a different hitter. Now Coglin is, I mean, he, he is really focused on, on doing the most damage that he can. And if not, if they don't give him anything to do damage with, take a walk, you know, his walk rates have stabilized nine, 12% the last two years, strikeout rate still, has not really that harmed at 19%. And we're seeing the best OBP and slug totals of his career. I just think that Chris Coughlin uh, probably shouldn't be judged too much on his mid twenties. Rather these last two years, um, when you're when you're kind of analyzing what he could be now the playing time we don't really know how it's going to be but in Oakland it's obviously going to be a better opportunity than it was in Chicago Yeah
1: that's a fantastic point because the last 2 years he's been about 1.3 ground balls for fly ball and before that he was almost 2 and that's a, that's a major difference it's going to have major implications for his power and he's managed to offset the possible batting average on balls in play uh implications for that by upping his hard hit rate mm-hmm. so you know, he's gone from middling hard hit rates, some some bad ones even when the bad years, to uh, I don't know if i to call it plus, but it's it's nice. Thirty percent is is a good number. Yeah,
0: like a little little over average, uh, and and definitely like you're saying, a far cry from what Coglin used to do.
1: You know, but the, the fact that he's a lefty makes the depth chart in in Oakland, which I I think is really the. The source of his uh, possible value is if you spot a, a place in the depth chart where he can take over. Because right now, as we have him projected, it's really uninspiring.
0: He could be strong Third side of- DH. I think Billy Butler is kind of trash. I mean, I-
1: well, no, see, okay, well, I've got a point that I'm getting to that, that Billy Butler is a part of. Okay, so you're right to say that. But but you know, to to set it up the negative way, the negative way of looking at it is. You know, he's back up behind Jed Lowry at second. Jed Lowry is a, is a starting uh, a starting level second baseman. He's uh, a backup in left field to Chris Davis. They're both left-handed, and Chris Davis has way more power. He's a backup in right field right to Josh Reddick. Oh, Chris but, Davis is right-handed. That's true.
0: But, but, but Chris Davis isn't being platooned, so you're right. I, that's just a. Uh, to, that would be
1: a waste of his talents. I think exactly.
0: I that's think that's to set really the record good. straight, not to suggest that there would be a platoon or anything. Chris Davis is going to be the starter unless he goes in a massive slump. They got him to be a middle of the lineup bat. Right, Keep right. going. So,
1: so he's backing up a, 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 a starting level guy, and then on the other side, he's the same handedness as Reddick. So even though they platoon Reddick, Coughlin is not the easy answer there, and then he's not a center fielder and we have him listed as the seventh dh on the team so that's just the negative side of it is it's very crowded where he went and who knows where he's going to play now to your other point which i think is great is well billy butler's listed as the dh coco crisp is listed as the co dh coco crisp is old as time billy butler is fatter than the world (laughs) So, you know, between those two, you know, you you, you don't know if anybody's going to take over DH. And you're right. He's the lefty there. On top of that, uh, the second base situation, even though it looks like Coughlin is the clear uh, Coughlin, Cough, that guy, Coughlin? Chris.
0: I think it's just Coughlin. Coughlin. I don't even know that the H plays a role there. All
1: right.
0: I, I don't uh, that, uh, one, that one I'm not 100% sure. I'm, no, I, I, I think I've been Coughlin. Great.
1: Yeah. So let's go Coughlin. So uh, even though it looks like he's a clear backup to Jed Lowry, a, a Jed Lowry gets hurt all the time. Yes.
0: And B, Danny Valencia oh. has. That was yeah. the point I was going to make. Go ahead.
1: Danny Valencia had this crazy resurgence last year, where despite having he's a right hander and despite you know struggling against right handers his whole career, last year he finally figured it out, yeah. and we're all talking like we're all talking uh, as if. That might stick around, and Billy Bean is thinking of him as a starter. Who knows what Billy Bean is thinking? And if, if Billy Bean is probably not thinking that Chris Davis is a platoon player, and if you look at Danny Valencia's history, he's probably thinking Danny Valencia is a platoon player. And if Danny Valencia is a platoon player, he's a short side platoon oh. player, in which case our projected playing time for Danny Valencia and Chris Coughlin should be almost flipped on their heads. And basically, what you'll find is probably Jed, whoever's a stronger arm, I, I would guess Jed Lowry's at third, and uh, Danny. Uh, I'm and Danny Valencia back to second. Jed, Jed Jed Lowry gets 400 plate appearances at third base. Danny Valencia gets 200 plate appearances at third base, and some others in other places because against lefties, they have a lot of left-handers on this team. They so do. Valencia will play in some places, um, but uh, you know he could even, depending on what happens with Mark Conha, if they. If they, you know, anyway, there's a lot of moving parts on this team. But one of the the, the softest spots on this team for me is Danny Valencia.
0: Could not and agree that's, that's more. The,
1: that's the easiest one. Where he just goes back to what he was before and is still valuable for the athletics as a right-handed infielder. You know, sometimes those are harder to find. He has some power. He's useful in their platoons. That'll be fine. He's cheap. But, you know, if none of that, if he doesn't keep all those gains against right-handers, that's the soft spot bingo and it's not necessarily Cough- Coughlin will play third but he could with all the- he
0: has played i mean he's played like 50 or 60 games uh let's see let me see how many
1: well i always thought he was a second baseman uh, if he wasn't th-
0: those players. were in the mostly in the minors sorry he's got about 62 games uh in his pro career played at third base for Coughlin, but 11 of those have been at the majors so you lowry lowry would be the easy shift over
1: lowry played third base Recently. Exactly.
0: Too, so. That would be the yeah, easiest but... uh, shift. And then you put Khan anyway, I just
1: right. think that's the e- that's the most open spot. I, I think that, you know, I like Simeon more than most. Mm-hmm. Uh I think, you know, Kanha could actually take the job from Alonzo. So oh, there's a little there. bit
0: we're lockstep here.
1: This is actually a really interesting depth chart. I think that's going to be it's not so interesting for mixed leaguers, uh, maybe. Because I'm not even sure there's a great mixed leaguer here. Stephen Vogt as a mixed league catcher probably works. I
0: like Davis. I like Burns.
1: Davis and Burns. Like,
0: and, and uh, I still like Redick.
1: Redick. Is, Redick is a daily guy that you can slot in. Yeah, and fourth, slot fourth,
0: fifth out. outfielder type. That doesn't really cost much anymore.
1: But none of these guys are, are stars on the position players. Exactly. But in AL only, there's a lot of, I think, uh, rife opportunity here where – you know, Mark Conha is a dollar player, just hoping that he takes the job from Yonder Alonso, who's just been, you know, bad.
0: It's just been so blah. Uh, I mean, just
1: Chris Co- Coughlin is like a three three dollar guy. One of your final outfielders that you or that you might want to that, you you know, or infielders that you can slot around, um, you know, Simeon as a guy who's going to take a big leap forward when he finally is able to, you know, uh, pair good offense with good defense, which. You know, I think Started he can do this end year. Of last year. Yeah. Uh, and then um, Davis as maybe a, a, a hedge against everyone saying that his power is going to go away in the stadium. Maybe he's like an, a Justin Upton type where he can just hit it out of any
0: stadium. Yeah, I, I think he is. I think Chris Davis's power plays anywhere. I mean, he might lose a couple because Miller Park is a great environment and Oakland isn't that great. But I think we've seen over the last few years that uh, fly ball power in Oakland – It doesn't necessarily go there to die. You can still hit a good upper 20s homer season if you've got true power. And I certainly think that Chris Davis does. So I agree with you. It's very interesting depth chart for AL only leagues. Nobody really wants to commit too much. You can buy some soft spots here. And if you bet on the right ones, they could pay off really big. Let's talk about Desmond real quick. Just get your thoughts on Desmond to Texas to play left field.
1: I've been holding on to a share, and I'm super happy about it. You know, it's not Colorado, but you know, it's it's a place that's really great for his power. And you know, as a guy who I think of as a little bit as grip it and rip it, I think he could definitely get in there and uh, against pitchers that aren't as as comfortable with his uh, with his flaws, and uh, and have a really good year.
0: Yeah, see, uh, you and I are more in lockstep there than than Jason and I were. You know, Jason pointed out, uh, obviously, kind of the the declining numbers for Ian Desmond. They are kind of hard to ignore. But I think even in those, you know, even in kind of the declining years of 2014, where he was just a bit above average, and then last year where he was well below average, he was still doing a a really firm uh, double-double, double-digit homers and stolen bases at shortstop. I don't know. You can take the batting average risk and and kind of deal with it and you can still there's still a chance i think that he and desmond can hit 275 i don't know i'm a desmond guy so you know take that for what it's worth maybe maybe just uh slice the difference there between jason and myself and maybe you've got enos thoughts on it so yeah i think i think he well, i think desmond can do well
1: yeah and for the all the batting averages that he does have and he does have it because the strikeout rate is bad you know, that's definitely a thing. But he he's a guy who hits the ball hard, and he's had plus BABIPs in most of his career. I mean, his career batting average on balls in play is three twenty-two. Yeah,
0: so last year's three oh seven was actually a down year.
1: Right. And before that, it was in the three thirties for three straight years. So he is a guy who can hit his way out of the bad batting average a little bit and not necessarily— But you know, at his projections, man, he's fine. I mean, his projections right now, two fifty uh, range from 240 to 250, basically, the batting average, and from 17 to 22 homers, 12 to 18 stolen bases. Now, there's a different, there's a, a good amount of give in there. You know, five homers and, and six stolen bases, that's that's a lot. However, on the on the short end of the stick, Steamer, 240 plus 30 home runs in stolen bases combined. You know, particularly if you need some power from your shortstop because you took. A D Gordon or a Billy Hamilton or something. Absolutely. Then, then he's a great fit, you know. And uh, and uh, you know on the on the upper end of these projections, the twenty two and, and eighteen, that's forty home runs for stolen bases. You know, take D Gordon out. Who else is going to have forty home runs with stolen bases at 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 second base? At
0: either middle infield position, shortstop or second. I stop, really.
1: guess. I mean, you're talking about Carlos Correa. Yeah. Maybe rough night or door P- you know? potentially
0: Bogarts. I mean, um, yeah, he'd have Bogart, to run a whole lot more. Like,
1: yeah, I think they would take a lot of uh, skill expansion because it would take like some more power too. A- absolutely,
0: and, I- I'm just saying he's yeah. got that. I just think that even though Bogarts hasn't done it, he definitely has that potential. There's going to be guys this year. You know, I, I, we put such a burden on. They have to have done it. I just don't hold that as much to guys these days because we're seeing these younger talents come up and 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 be greater. Uh, without having shown it before, but Desmond has shown it. It's funny what a name can do, though. You know, if we kind of took the names off of lists, uh, people would look at where Desmond is. You know, if you just kind of gave him like a, a three-year average or just the projections, and they'd be like, why is this guy all the way down here? And obviously, we need the names because there's information that comes with them about the skills and everything. But by and large, I think that there's just some Desmond hate out there that uh, goes a bit too far. All right, you know, let's go ahead and move on to our strategy section and talk about. On base versus average leagues. I know a lot of leagues uh, have kind of moved over to OBP in the last few years. Definitely think it is a, a you know, if you're trying to get the the, the true talent the, out of players, and and you're you're trying to capture that more, I think that then it's a worthwhile switch. But which one is your preference? Do you prefer average or on base leagues?
1: I actually don't get so wrapped up in settings. <clears throat> I I don't get so wrapped up in settings because. I am a little bit more just like set the game and let's play it. I mean, mm-hmm. do I hate, you know, Settlers of Catan versus <laughs> you know, Puerto Rico because of their different ways that the the, 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 the the game is structured? No, I just I ask you what we're playing. Are we playing Settlers Are we playing Puerto Rico? Okay. See then I
0: know That's what a great I need point. So I just think I, that people get too hung up on it. We're playing a game, right? And and listen. I used to be a little bit more militant about it, and be Like, you got to play OBP, man. That's the only way to do it. But I used to be a douchebag, so that's <laughs> the problem, not, and I don't want to be a douchebag anymore. So now I'm just like, you know what? What are the settings? Now, there's going to be some league settings that I don't like, so you know what I won't do? I won't play that league. It's really that simple. I will just move on to a different league. I like OBP leagues because uh, I can draft Joey Votto as early as I want, and no one can tell me anything. But that's a stupid reason to like OBP leagues.
1: Well, you know there is there is an interesting thing that you're you're, you're touching on there, uh, and, and some of it might have to do with how we, what we what our biases are as as analysts and professional writers of, of fantasy, and I don't mean you know the kind with the throbbing uh, <laughs> pieces. Uh, uh,
0: I guess you don't uh, want. <laughs> I guess you don't want my latest article then. Okay, sorry, <laughs> no, sorry, I, I took a wrong turn from it. Sorry, continue.
1: Anyway, I don't know why I was on the throbbing. Uh, so uh, my, my point is uh, we have biases as, as writers that we have our own rankings. We have our own ideas about all these players. We are information full and, and we're ready to go with any setting. And so bring it on. It is important to know what kind of people you're playing with. And if you want to give everybody, you know, an, a, 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 even footing when it comes to preparation for the draft and stuff, then you should probably do five by five because the majority of rankings out there are five by five. If you go to like a Fantasy pros website and you see these aggregated rankings and and majority of the analysis out there is for for five by five. So that allows everyone to kind of step to the table at the same level of, of analysis, or you go the other way completely where you have the weirdest, you know, the weirdest categories in your league. And that way, nobody can use any information that's out there. Yeah, it,
0: it, <laughs> and it everybody all becomes a little bit more crazy and jumbled.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I I think that basically you just need to think about who you're playing with and what your goals are, and you know how how that's going to go, and, and how people are going to prepare for it. Then, because it's you know it's silly to look at a five by five ranking and try to you know eyeball it for for OBP guys. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, we can do, we can try and help to do that today a little bit by pointing out some guys. But you know, uh, in the best, in the best case scenario, you're either in a league that's five by five and everybody's gonna go buy a magazine, or you're uh, you're in a saber points league and everyone's got their own spreadsheets.
0: That's the thing. Uh, usually, if you're in those different setup leagues, everyone's come to the table wanting to play that setup and agreeing to it. So. Basically, the overarching point there is get into leagues where you're comfortable with the settings. You don't have to like every setting type, but don't play in leagues where you hate the settings so that you can just bitch and moan when you lose. Um, Question about OBP leagues. Do we tend to overrate it when we are shifting from it? Because when it's an OBP league, you hear, at least I feel this, maybe it's anecdotal, but I feel like uh, people overreact more to guys who have a bad OBP than when they do for guys who have a bad average. Do you, do you have that same experience where you know you're in the midst of the draft? Can't draft him. He's got a bad OBP, but you don't really hear that as much about a guy with a bad average. Yeah, you know, I, th-
1: I see it uh, like especially in the skill the, up the middle skill positions, uh, shortstop, middle infield, and uh, and center field. If you if you break those out, because mostly those places have sh- low, short, shorter OBP's, worse OBP's, and so you know, the whole, the whole framework of replacement level and value over other players at the position, all of that is, looks different when your average shortstop OBP is like 310. So as much as, you know, we want to say, oh, Ian Desmond, terrible in OBP leagues. Well, you know what, dude, you know, how many shortstops are actually any good at OBP? And maybe he's just as good in OBP leagues as he's in batting average leagues, really.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I- Maybe it does mean more because it is more tied to run scoring. Um, but I, I still think that sometimes when you're making that shift into the OBP league, can tend to overrate it and maybe skip over guys who maybe don't have a great OBP, especially for somebody like myself, I almost always get Votto in an OBP league. So I'm already working from such an advantage that maybe, uh, you know, a few rounds down, I should start opening up a little bit more because I, I have his cushion, and I, I think in past years I'm, I've maybe not uh, leveraged that cushion enough. So yeah, I won OBP by 40 points, but I didn't get anything for that, and I came up short in steals or uh, you know some other categories. So
1: and steals is where you're gonna come up that's short. That's exactly you, where it happened. Heavy on OBP for sure.
0: So um, let's talk about a few guys. You mentioned this. We're going to talk about some guys you did an exercise for. So we'll hit that first. And then we're going to jump into uh, six guys, three for each of us, that, we, that we, we jump up on our rankings for OBP leagues. And we'll talk about them. But first, you took the Poxian calculator, And what would you do?
1: I just ran it for 5 by 5 with batting average in it, and then I ran it for 5 by 5 but OVP replacing the batting average, so that I got two different money values, and then um, uh, just subtracted one from the other, so that basically get the guys that get the biggest boost from being in an on-base percentage league. And it's funny, because we probably, anybody who saw the title of this post or knew that we were going to talk about this, probably thought we were going to talk about how good Joey Votto looks in tight pants, <laughs> which I'm, That's you know, actually I'm a special episode. We were, we've were already talked about throbbing. Might as well just throw in some pants, but, um, some tight pants. But, uh, the patron saint actually of, of this situation is not Joey Votto, at least not going into this year. The guy who gets the biggest boost, and it's because Joey Votto has a decent batting average.
0: That's the thing; he has a great batting average, so the disparity yeah. isn't that much. It's just that he's so good in OBP that he comes from like a third round to a first round.
1: Yeah, and so uh, uh, Joey Votto does gain a lot, and he and he is a, a twenty dollar player when it comes to OBP. Uh, no, he's a what is it? He's a twenty eight dollar player in OBP and a twenty dollar player in batting average. So that, that is a big difference. And that's a $9 difference, or eight ninety 90 difference, uh, based on these numbers. Carlos Santana has a nine twenty difference, where he goes from being an $8 batting average player to an $18 uh, uh, OBP player. So that's, that's the biggest in baseball, and in the, in the top 10 goes uh, Carlos Santana, Joey Botto, Jock Peterson, Jose Bautista, Curtis Granderson, Shinsu Chu, Mike Napoli, Dexter Fowler, Lucas Duda and Chris Davis. So those are those are the easy. Like if you are just gonna try and, and and target some OBP guys that 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 get the biggest difference, then you then that's that's your sort of your short list. It's
0: no wonder I do well in OBP leagues, um, at least in OBP, because I'm obsessed with half that list at least. If actually like seventy <laughs> percent of it, everyone you said I'm like, oh okay, okay, oh 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 Curtis, oh great. Named your
1: dog after one yeah, of those. Yeah, I
0: guys. mean that that list was literally. Paul's favorite players basically like I really like <laughs> so many of those guys draft them all the time even in average leagues I gotta just stay in OBP I guess I can't be in average leagues now so I can get all those guys uh, obviously some of them that we are going to talk some of the guys we're going to talk about were on that list so let's just dive in first I'll start with my first guy who I don't believe was on the list but he might have the same thing that uh that Votto has where he can't really jump up much higher and that's George Springer because he's already, you know, trending as like a second, third round pick. But I think it might be kind of forgotten that he takes his walks and he can have some batting average issues, Springer can, because uh, he does strike out a lot. He's got a 256 career average uh, just in his 796 Major League Plate appearances, but an 11% walk rate gives him a 354 OBP. So that power and speed plays so well no matter what. Again, he's like a second round pick. Second, third round pick, even in average leagues. But in OBP leagues, all of a sudden, if you're talking about a 15 teamer, I think you can make a case to get him right there in the back end of that first round or at least quickly on the turn in the second round. I really like George Springer in OBP leagues.
1: His projections are for OBP are lockstep with Jose Bautista. They're, they're, well, actually.
0: Well, Bautista is not going to steal 20 bases either.
1: Well, Bautista's more. I, I thought I was, oh, the Bautista's in a batting average league is the same as Springer's in OBP league. Oh, okay, that's okay. interesting. Uh, that is kind of interesting. But uh, George Springer is projected for five seventy one plate appearances. Jose Bautista five eighty nine. Uh, you know, if one of these guys is going to have seven hundred plate appearances, it's going to be George Springer. And if he does do that, I do think he he leaps up a lot. And he's uh, by our, on our list. He's twentieth in terms of the boost that he gets from from OBP between George Springer. And amazingly uh Jimmy Rollins and another play you want to talk about,
0: my next guy is he a catcher? Yes, okay, my next guy is a catcher, and it's Chris Ionetta, and I know that's that's a that's a deep one, but we don't want to just talk about, all about stars here. We're trying to help you out even in, in your deeper leagues and Chris Iannetta is being forgotten this year, and it's understandable when you look at his numbers from last year one eighty eight two ninety three three thirty five that was his triple slash. That is god-awful. There's no denying that. But he had a 225 Babbitt. And that just cannot happen again for Chris Iannetta. There There's just no way that he's going to play another 317 plate appearances, which was low as well, so that... Influenced that he had a small sample to boot, but there's no way he's going to do another 225 um, He's had some bad BABIPs in the past and he always bounces back He had a 212 one year again a, a short sample 223 plate appearances and then he bounced back to 276 He's only 277 for his career. So he's not going to skyrocket, but in OBP he, He's always been pretty exceptional even last year's 293 was good by comparison to his average It obviously was still garbage But the power in the OBP are things that you can kind of bank on. Still think he's going to get plenty of playing time out in Seattle. I would have no problem slotting Chris Iannetta in as my second catcher in an AL league on the super cheap, maybe even in a mixed OBP. Again, even cheaper.
1: Yeah, and honestly, uh, in the auction calculator, the uh, projected plate appearances for Iannetta, just because I have this this in front of me, um, it seems low. I mean, the auction calculator has a 298 plate appearance total for him, and I don't really know exactly how that's happened because the depth charts have him at 384.
0: Yeah, and I don't buy. I don't buy Zanino.
1: Yeah, Zanino you know, Zanino and Clevenger are, are complete backups to me at this point. Mm-hmm. Sukra is the is the the depth guy. That's you know the, the catch and throw you know triple uh, A guy exactly, and, uh, and none of those guys really seems like they're going to rip the job out of Aneta's hands. And Aneta got a lot better at framing recently. And I think that that was something that the general manager was trying to get across to his players was just, just get better by studying and Ionetta went and did that, and I think that's part of why his, his former GM and now current GM got him, DePoto. Oh, yeah,
0: that makes great. I didn't even put that link together because I'm dumb.
1: Yeah, DePoto went and got the only guy in the clubhouse that was you know interested in, in advanced statistics and trying to better his game. So um, I, I think that's a little bit of his guy, and he's he's going to be happy to have him, and um, and Zanino with, projected for a .264 on-base percentage. <laughs> is going to have a hard time slugging his way out of that that hole that he's put himself into. He, he
0: really is. And and that's just another reason why I like I know that's a great point on DePoto. I, like I said had he made that link that does make me like him a bit more because I think he'll at least get that leash to kind of show, hey, my hitting is back on track and if the hitting's back on track plus the advanced framing that's really going to help him because before it was, Ionetta was, was a bat, but he wasn't a good defender. You know that he could do his usual uh, average power sort of deal, but he, Ionetta wouldn't catch very well. Now that he's catching well, that's going to really help. So I think that'll help his playing time. I got one more guy before we get to year three. This one's an interesting one too, because uh, it, can, it maybe can address my, the issue I was telling you about that. I have an OBP leagues where maybe I come up a little bit short on speed because I favor these, these studs with a uh, power studs with OBP, but Delano DeShields might be my guy then because he's always taken walks really well, and it was no different in his Major League debut last year when he had an 11% walk rate. So he had a 261 average but a three forty four on base to go with those 25 stolen bases. He only hit two bombs last year, but I actually think DeShields could push... Uh, toward double digits And I know that doesn't sound like a lot But like eight or nine And then obviously if you get lucky You can you can be in the double digits I, I don't think this is a bat devoid of pop Even though we only saw two homers last year He had a 2% homer to fly ball rate And I think that that's kind of crazy And shouldn't stick This isn't somebody who hits the ball on the ground 70% of the time He's got a fair 34% fly ball rate So, you know, you don't even have to get that up to the league average of 10% to give him a a, a solid boost in homers. So if we're getting eight or nine homers from DeShields and upwards of 30-35 stolen bases, because he he did 25 in, in, uh, what, three-fourths of a season. So I really think that uh, he can be something. And the fact that he does keep taking the walks means DeShields will have the OBP. So I like him in
1: 2016. Yeah, he just makes me a little nervous. I know... He's got the patience. It's funny, too, because if you, you look at— You make
0: him nervous, okay? How about that? <laughs> he told me—he's uh, in Texas, dude. We're in the same state. He told me, uh, like your podcast, but that Saris guy makes me nervous. I'm not drafting him this year in my podcast league. And I said, I get it. I get it. But anyway, continue.
1: Definitely uh, definite floor problem, floor problems here, which is actually what I'm going to say about the uh, Shields here is that the floor— I think people are underestimating his floor a little bit. And, I've, you know, you look at the different parts of his game, you're like, okay, average strikeout rate, above average patience, above average work on the, on the base pass, plays center field, could have an average uh, isolated power or close to it, is not powerless. What is the problem here? Why, you know, why was he a rule five guy? Why did the Astros let him go? Why? Why was he only a one-win guy last year, even though he played two-thirds of his season or more, almost a full season? And the 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 reasons are his defense is no good, and his makeup is not very good. You're no and, good. And I don't know. You know, makeup is a thing that I used to not care about, care about at all. I think in it's the a past. bigger
0: deal these days.
1: And you know, I've watched him, and I've watched him at, in the Arizona Fall League and somewhere else, and. I've seen him not give a rat's butt about what is happening, you know, in terms of like picking up the balls after when you do a round of BP, you're supposed to pick up the balls. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to do a little bunt before you even start your BP. You're supposed to do a little bunt. He's barely even looking. And then, you know, picking up the balls, he's, he's acting like it's a, a chore that his mom made him do
0: instead of just something that Man. everybody does.
1: Right. And uh, and just and he just seems to be like that kid in class who's just just talking while the teacher's talking. And, you know, that guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he comes from uh, he comes from a baseball background, which, which might make him feel entitled and stuff. All this stuff is not such a big deal. in now because he's demonstrated some ability to be a major leaguer. So maybe I'm over overstating it. And, you know, but I just, just do want to remind, remind people this is a Rule 5 guy that, was that, you know, was barely there.
0: Former top know? 10 pick that Houston was so, you know, nonplussed with that they yeah. went ahead and just let him go. Obviously, they had a lot of talent, and they, they had to make some tough decisions, but they likely did not want to let somebody like that go. A former, like I said, top 10 pick. He was eighth pick in 2010 for DeShields. They didn't just want to let him go, but they did. And then, of course uh, cross-state rivals go ahead and scoop him up, and he he makes it to the majors and has a good year. So I don't know if things have improved with Texas, but the the stuff that you're mentioning is stuff I'd heard in the past. So it's out there and likely at least contributed – To getting him out of Houston because it's not like his numbers were so bad that they had to just get rid of him. He wasn't some twenty four year old who was still stuck in double A. You know, his his numbers in the high minors weren't great in double A in twenty fourteen, but he was twenty one years old. Like there was time. They just decided no thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm sticking with him, but I, I hear exactly what you're saying you know. Uh...
1: But I think that maybe some of the, I mean, it just depends on how close and how it depends a little bit on what we were talking about before with uh, the left field situation, Lewis Brinson, is he close? Is, is his strikeout rate going to hold? If it does, then you've got this sort of massive power speed center fielder who I guess can probably play better center field than Delino because Delano hasn't played very well center field. So, you know, you've got a guy that's there, that's ready to take over. But that is probably a 2017 situation. So if you're talking about 2016, I, I you know, I'll get on board with you. I, I, I just wanted to voice, uh, I guess, the opposition.
0: No, it, and it's fair, and that's what I would hope we would do. To especially on these guys, kind of in the middle, is there something that you could push them over with, uh, or is there something to bring them down? I think it's valid what you bring up. And, and if things go sideways in Texas and he starts losing playing, that that's a thing to consider with Brinson and Nomar Mazzara, who obviously both get hurt by this um, Ian Desmond signing. But if things start to go sideways and they call one of them up to kind of start taking time away from DeShields, well, how's he going to react? And that's where that information can can be useful. But, may, not,
1: may not react well. Exactly.
0: My <laughs> bet is that he's going to hold it all year and not make that an issue but we don't know. So we're both betting on, on, on two different things. But I, I do like him for this year. Uh, and again, that OBP boost, if you do find yourself in OBP leagues struggling to get guys that you trust for speed because you're worried about the low OBP. First off, I'd say don't overreact so much because you are putting puzzle pieces together and not everybody has to have a 350 or better OBP. But secondly, I would also say take a look at Del- Delano DeShields Jr. Uh, let's move on to your guys. Let's start with. Big first baseman out of New York, Lucas Duda, a guy I almost put on my list as well. He's one. I don't think he gets enough love either way, average or OBP leagues. I think he gets pushed down in average leagues because everyone thinks he hits like 210. And then in OBP leagues, he doesn't even get the up boost because I don't think people realize he's got a pretty good on base. So what do you think about Lucas Duda?
1: Yeah, the reason I like him a little bit, I wanted to profile him and and like him a little bit more than some of the uh, names higher up on the list is because – I think that he gets placed in that bin where, you know, especially when you when you watch Twitter and you know that some people think he's not good. And uh, I think it's had to do with some of his high-profile misses. It's had to do with you know his bad years that he's had. It has to do with his personality because he's he you know Mets fans call him unconfident, and he's um, he's just a. Uh, he's a galoot he's just a quiet guy who doesn't um who doesn't uh, project much power so I, I think that you know people think of him as a deep league guy as a corner infielder not really a starting you know 12 15 team league guy and i think that's the perfect place to get your starting first baseman in, in an obp league is you know in round 8 you know last year in in, in Tout i finished i don't know third maybe and i Basically waited forever on Lucas Duda and took him really late in the ninth or 10th round. I waited a really long time on, I think I actually ended up with Shinsu Chu, Jock Peterson, and Lucas Duda. Three of the top 10, you know, OBP gainers. And this is a league that was full of riders, so you'd assume that they, you know, ran the numbers themselves. You know, but, uh, you know, they, for whatever reason, were passing on these guys. And, uh, that, you know, that's why I sort of naturally gravitated to highlighting these guys, is because they're not, you know, top five rounders that are really sort of obvious guys. Mm-hmm. They're really mid-rounders that, that, gain, that gain to the level of mid-roundership by, by having this good on-base percentage. Uh, so, I, you know, we were talking about this before we got on here. Lucas Duda had a little bit of risk last year. I think that might have been why he was dropping in that league was that he had a little bit of risk of platoon of losing playing time and platoon to, to Michael Kadire. But, you know, not his, 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 he performed well last year and he didn't really get platoon and he performed well against lefties. But, you know, even if that, that wasn't his true talent, he just got a little bit lucky against lefties this year, the personnel is even worse of a situation exactly. for platoon. I think, I, unless you're taking Cespedes, the the main right fielded uh, right-handed outfielder, uh, and, and playing him at first base on on the days you played lefties, which seems to be asking a lot of Cespedes, who isn't hasn't been great in new positions.
0: Yeah, I don't, uh, I, don't I don't see I, that I, as as being a, a good idea on any level. I think they're going to give Duda Flores, a shot.
1: I mean, Wilmer Flores, if everyone's healthy on the infield, which is saying something, then maybe Wilmer Flores can can play some first, but. Uh, it doesn't really seem Michael Gudauri was a much better fit for that, and so I think that
0: even Daniel Murphy needs. was, but he's also a left-hander, so you know they, they just they lost two guys that that don't really do they don't have a perfect backup first baseman right now, and I think that that's because they're showing some confidence uh, in Duda after his season last year, and they're you know obviously if it gets to a point where it's been in the past, I mean he's had some really bad seasons, I think even two years before this. He's hitting like 180 with like a 500 OPS. If it gets to that point, I think that they'll adjust. But based on last year, they're hoping some of those gains can stick and that they can use Duda as a, if he's just passable against lefties and dominates righties, that'll work for him. Let's talk about Jock Peterson, uh, next guy on your list. Absolutely love Jock Peterson. Very excited about drafting him this year because the the shine has worn off. That, that god-awful second half. Really put some stink out there. The two ten batting average, uh, bottom line for him, 29% strikeout rate. I I'm I'm all in. I've got no problem with it. First off, love the OBP, 16% walk rate. Love the power, and I think people are sleeping on the speed. He's only four for 11 last year. I get it, but I, I don't I don't know why you would make that just be who he is. Like it, it's one year uh, of work. Um, he's 23 years old, and I just think that we haven't really I think sometimes guys got to figure it out how to steal at the major leagues. Not everybody's blessed with uh, Billy Hamilton-esque talent. They can just roll out of bed and steal 25 bases. But uh, he had 113 stolen bases in 441 games in the minor leagues. 26, 26, 31, 30. Those are his four seasons in the minors. That's pretty darn good. So I think we're going to see Jock Peterson be a power speed asset Get the average up to around 240, which is still not good, but passable. If you're an OBP, all of a sudden you're talking 360. That'd be huge. I think he's a monster this year. What do you think of Jock Peterson?
1: You know, he said that he he got by on athleticism for the most part and that he was always the most athletic guy in Pally high and, you know, you know, on the way up. So the major leagues, I think he's even said, even beyond the minor leagues, he, he never really felt like he was, uh, he was being... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to make him sound bad because I can't I don't have the quote right in front of me but you know that he wasn't being challenged as much. I mean the, the numbers look like he wasn't being challenged 300 batting average 400 plus on base percentages you know slugging percentages near 600. I mean he just whooped the minor leagues and I think that the second half last year was the first time really in his life where he was like, oh, like okay. okay, I'm good, <laughs> like, but I'm
0: I'm not that good. I gotta check they, myself they, a little bit.
1: Right? They they figured out that you know they figured out some things, and I need to figure out some things back. So it's not you know it, there is some risk. I think that some guys never make the adjustment back. Brandon Wood never made the adjustment back. He never figured out how to make enough con- uh, contact to to make his power shine. So there is there is the risk that we haven't seen the adjustment an adjustment back yet. Uh, but at the same time there's the possible upside of start of stardom you know of a guy who has the physical tools and then can add um can add an adjustment and and some and some sort of mental acuity to the situation so i'm willing to take that bet because i think that the baseline is provided by the projections is about a 340 uh, on base percentage with a 220 230 batting average 25 homers 10 steals i think that's a I, don't, I wouldn't go so far as to a floor because all these projections are basically 50 percentile type stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, given that he's 23 and he did a lot of that last year, you know, 2024, 24, he did a lot of that last year and has such a great track record. I'm going to say that, that those are almost floor-like. I mean, that, that's I would love to pay for that and, and, and feel like there's more coming than that.
0: Perfect summation for Jock Peterson there. Let's move on to Carlos Santana, your last guy. An OBP monster was the biggest gainer because he's so bad with the batting average the last couple of years, only hitting 231, but 140 points higher on the OBP in those two same years, with a 361 mark for Carlos Santana. Now, the 27 homers looked great in 2014, and I honestly thought that he could kind of stick up in that level. He does have a couple of 27 homer seasons. He dropped down to 19 last year, but bounced it a little bit with 11 stolen bases, which feel really out of the norm because it's double digits but he's always in like the the three to five range so the point being that it wasn't just a bunch of zeros and then 11 it was a bunch of threes and fives and then 11 i don't know i think maybe it could stick a little bit to where he's giving you that that seven to eight uh seven to nine kind of range um with carlos santana just a little bit of a bonus but if the power comes back as well and we get back into the mid-20s with the homers plus the lbp all of a sudden we're talking about pretty solid first baseman what do you think of carlos santana
1: yeah, that was definitely, you know, a name that I wanted to bring up. You know, he's the patron saint of this situation. We've talked about about how he might play the top of the lineup next year, and uh, you know, I think that while we've talked about how that might be a little bit overrated, I, I do one quick mia culpa about last episode. Yes, uh, be, uh, pitch velocity is the number one most important thing that you. can Oh, hear in out spring, of spring training? training. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. You, That uh, we should have we should I should have said that it just like I said it was a kind of off the cuff like hey I'm just going to rank these things so um, yes pitch velocity is number one Uh, Carlos Santana's lineup situation is not super exciting to me except that it means that the team understands his value values him highly and is going to use him probably somewhere near the top of the order so if it's not two then it's four or five and it's not seven, eight, nine, you know, it's not to the point where there's a major difference between his plate appearance chances and other people. So, I mean, he's a guy who the last two years has averaged 660 plate appearance. That's pretty good. You know,
0: that's the thing and, he uh, plays like crazy. Carlos Santana is in there all the time. I mean, really the only time he missed was the the devastating injury at, at catcher when he was run over.
1: Yeah. And I think he might play through some injuries, and that's why we see some fluctuation in his... He definitely his did for a
0: couple different years when it was clear that he was injured You know, for like a good two or three month chunk and then the other the rest of his season was excellent. And that happens sometimes. So it's almost like um, sometimes maybe the, the volume can hurt because you're adding those bad numbers. But this is a guy who will play and, and really get you that full season of 600 plus plate appearances for Carlos Santana.
1: Yeah, and we know he's going to walk. I mean, lifetime 16%, 16%, oh, 17% of the last two years. Just, yeah, I mean, on base percentage, you really just got to erase that 230 batting average from your mind and just focus on the fact that he's a 360, 370 guy, and that's really good. And it comes with 20 homers. It comes at a third base position sometimes. No? Not, not anymore.
0: Just straight first base.
1: Not anymore, yeah. But um, still, uh, you know, with the speed that he's been showing, 16 stolen bases in the last two years, I mean he's a fun he's a fun guy and he's just he's just you know it's a, it's another thing about uh, perceived value and it's not just that he's he's good it's that he's usable and functional and uh, even like a mid table first baseman and he gets treated like what he is in, in batting average leagues which is like an end game guy
0: and so here's the thing in NFBC he's a thirteenth rounder with a, so that's average. Where are you putting him if it was uh, OBP?
1: Uh, well, the auction calculator says that he would be an $18 guy, uh, and then he would be ahead of Brian Dozier.
0: Give me a first baseman uh, that he's ahead of so I can compare it here.
1: Oh, okay. Is he around
0: Cosmer, uh, a fielder? Let
1: me see. Duda's
0: 10. I know fielders DH only. Don't send your 10, tweets.
1: 16 share is 10. All right, let me just uh, sort this for first baseman. That's the smart thing to do. Position. All right, here we go. Um, Avila screws it up a little bit. Vote. This is a fascinating radio.
0: It's all right. Uh, They're still loving it. Trust me.
1: <laughs> here we go. Uh, he would be right. Ahead of Adrian Gonzalez. Okay,
0: that's, that, I knew it was going to be right around that Gonzalez-Hosmer area. So that, if we just slot the OBP, and this is rough, I know that it doesn't work out this perfectly, but Gonzalez is Gonzalez's ADP in uh, average leagues is 69th, which is really nice, by the way. And then you could slot Carlos Santana there, which would be super nice to have him. And all of a sudden, that's obviously a fifth-round pick. So from 13th to the 5th, to Eno's point, though, you don't even have to pay a fifth-round pick for Carlos Santana in your OBP league. I think a lot of folks realize that he is better in OBP league, but he doesn't get the boost that he deserves because for some reason that 231 really sticks in people's heads. So you could maybe get him in like the eighth round, which is a f- still a five-round boost from where he was going, and still three rounds lower than probably where he should quote, quote unquote should have gone. So I think Carlos Santana is a great pickup for first base. In your OBP leagues, and if you happen to get first base early, that's fine. Put him in that corner because he's still a great corner. So I really like Carlos Santana in OBP leagues.
1: Yeah, and I think um, you know, down list. Uh, there's uh, there's some things that we can learn from this, which is, the, I guess, the thing I've been sort of harping on is that uh, this is really a really good way to to bring a guy from the end game into sort of usable territory. So you know, a, a guy that I that looks at you know he only gets the 31st biggest boost from being OBP, but Logan Forsythe goes from being a $3 middle infielder to being a $7 middle infielder, you know, and that's just enough to make him more of a viable middle infielder than it is, uh, than he is. So the $3 version in batting average leagues makes him kind of a last pick guy, you know, or, a, you know, just barely good enough middle infielder, uh, Brad Miller, uh, you know, doesn't get a huge boost, but he goes from being a negative batting average guy to being a dollar um, uh, OVP guy. And uh, so I, I sort of gravitate to those guys. Brandon Moss becomes a replacement, uh, first baseman in mixed leagues, and, in 12-team leagues, um, from being a negative guy. Uh, Estrubal Cabrera does a very similar thing. So uh, there's definitely Danny Espinosa, you know? It's like the, your down your down-market guys become you know, a little bit more acceptable. And that's that's where I really like to, to look at this.
0: Well, there it is, folks. OBP versus average leagues. Hopefully we've helped you. If you're joining an OBP league this year, if you already play in OBP leagues and you maybe you've been making some mistakes, even though you have great OBP guys, you're like, why am I not doing better? Maybe just don't overly focus on it and get some of these guys that we gave you and they'll be studs for you. Right, you know, we're going to finish up with a quick preview of something that you're kind of working on. We're not, it's not even like a fully fleshed out thing, it's just some information you wanted to share that you learned uh, via an interview on sinker usage and potential shoulder issues. What do you got?
1: Well, I'm actually transcribing, and it's god, it's the worst part of writing, but I'm transcribing up well, a, I don't know
0: um, you folks, only interview on podcasts.
1: Yeah, so you know how to do it. Uh, but transcribing an interview I did with Kyle Body over Driveline Baseball in Seattle, uh, trying to get that up this week. And um, the uh, the fun part of that interview, and I, you guys get a sneak preview here. I'm, next week I'm going to invent a pitch, so Sweet. that'll be that'll be really fun. And that happened while we were at Driveline. I did some research. I had a pitcher at Driveline throw. My
0: invented pitch. Did you throw anything, by the way?
1: No, oh. my Achilles hurting, and I I probably should have, but I didn't want. To, I thought it would be the worst story Did that I hurt do. yourself. Pop my Achilles. What if you uh, What if
0: you had to get Tommy John? Yeah, had to take over for you and Labor because got Tommy surgery, John.
1: I, I got excited at driveline baseball, so. Uh, now I feel better, and I wish I could go back and throw. But I, you know what? I know the numbers would really be terrible. I mean, I'm terrible. I, I wouldn't know, even. I,
0: yeah, like I know that my numbers would be terrible, and, and Doug Thorburn would grade me like a a negative six on every mechanical <laughs> thing. But I still want it to happen. I still want someone yeah. to afford me pitching, so Doug can well, maybe I'll do break it this it down.
1: spring. In spring training, they always have those those little things. Maybe I'll do it there. But um, any case, that's the fun part. The less fun part that just came up, the point that I'm transcribing uh Kyle Boddy says that there is a significant and statistically significant relationship between heavy sinker usage and shoulder problems and uh and you know that's and that's something where you know we were talking about the slider and the changeup in a lot of this and he said you know some some issue with a lot of these this research that we that that gets done is the fact that if you like, say, let's say you throw a, a really good slider a lot. Well, you're going to get good results, and they're going to ask you to throw more. And so you're going to throw more, and throwing more also leads to injury. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a collinearity problem there where, you know, high velocity, yeah, that, does that lead to injury? Yes, but high velocity also leads to throwing more <laughs> because people are like, oh, you throw 98, we need you to throw more. <laughs>
0: you know? Absolutely.
1: So, uh, so that, that part's hard to take out uh but when kyle says something you know is is pretty statistically significant uh that's when my ears perk up so you know he does think there's a difference between slider and change-ups and there's going to be some of us in the article about uh, the, the your muscles do and your muscles and your and your just uh, your nerves and everything they do activate differently with a slider and a change-up and that could lead to to stress things but he sort of is like I, I can't say anything definitively. So when he said something semi-definitively about sinkers, I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. So I did the, 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 the top you know, sinker users over the last three years, and there are some interesting names on here because you've got some injuries in there. Cliff Lee is on there uh, at 10th highest. Henderson Alvarez, who just had a shoulder problem, uh, is fourth on the list. Uh, Scott Kazmir is second on the list, and he's, you know, he's, he's had some his injury problems. Uh, they're not all shoulders. I mean, Kyle Gibson's on this list, but he, uh, Tommy John guy. And there's a bunch of guys who have been healthy. Dallas Keuchel's on this. Francisco Liriano is 11th on this list. So, uh, I think it it looks like a list where I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Maybe these guys are injured a lot. Charlie Morton, number one. (gasps) Scott Katz, second. Uh, Bartolo Colon, third, who's just the ageless wonder. love
0: Bartolo. He's
1: Uh, Henderson Alvarez, fourth. Joe Kelly, fifth. Chris Sale. When does
0: Henderson Alvarez ever get hurt?
1: (laughs) Chris Sale, sixth. Uh Uh-oh. Doug Pfister, uh, recently hurt. Kyle Gibson, Tanner Roark, Cliff Lee, Francisco Liriano, Dallas Keuchel.
0: That's a really sad – that's not fun.
1: There's a lot. The list is – yeah, for Chris Sale to be on that list and – to have people be talking about how frail he is and stuff, it's a, it's a little bit uh, unsettling.
0: We're not frail. Our body type is perfect. Everybody, shut up. <laughs> no, that's that's really interesting information. And that you know that list shouldn't just be a do not draft list because obviously not everybody has gotten hurt. But that's a pretty damning list. And you, maybe it's a tiebreaker for you where you've got two guys well, that either- you like. One throws heavy sinker. One throws heavy four seamer. You go with your four seamer guy.
1: Yeah, I mean it, you can think about um, Yeah, you can think about this in a lot of different ways. I think it's a little bit more useful for keeper leagues cuz on a year to year level trying to predict injuries is pretty tough. That's
0: a good call. And I don't uh, like to contract pitchers out too far anyway, but you certainly don't want to do that with maybe one of these guys that's on the list, even if you got him at like a dollar and you can do the, the three years for just 15 bucks, he's only 16 bucks and he's going to be worth 25 this year. Yeah. But he could miss the next two years or something like that. So definitely some information. We're just kind of giving a tease on that. The more you on out, I don't, do you have any, uh, any idea when that piece is coming?
1: Well, let me do it for tomorrow. I just I don't know what to add to it. Maybe just what we just talked about a little bit. Brandon Webb is the is the patron saint of this issue.
0: Doesn't want to be though. I, That's one of the ones you don't want to be the patron saint of. Shoulder. Yeah. He was having a <laughs> dope I career I with a the, Cy Young, actually, and then poof, there goes Brandon Webb.
1: Yeah, I could I, I could talk a little bit about the mechanics of why it's uh, so. It could could go up tomorrow in my in my uh, in my column on rotographs. Well, so. We
0: might get deeper in it. Um, On wednesday then depending on kind of what comes from that but either way We'll definitely be talking about al labor for you. Uh, You got that coming up this weekend in arizona. How psyched are you for that trip?
1: I'm really excited. I mean the the whole the totality of the trip is pretty amazing. I get to uh, Draft in AL labor on saturday and I get to sleep through the night uh, for a week I uh, I get to visit my mom who just bought a bed and breakfast up in Sedona. Oh wow. And, Your
0: mom's cool. Uh, I've met I've met Eno's mom, everybody. She she and, walked Curtis.
1: She walked Curtis, which makes her a, a star. Absolutely. Also, um uh I'll get to interview guys throughout the week. You know, sort of Monday through Thursday or so I'll be going to games and interviewing guys. I gotta make sure I, I talk to Joey Votto, trying to come up with a plan for that. And then um and and, and Granke, of course. And, and get back on the interviewing horse. And then Thursday, I'm on a panel at Saber Analytics. Wow. Uh, so if you're in Phoenix, please come by. I'm, we're, we're considering a, a meetup that Friday, March 10th. And then Saturday, I will uh, be there on hand to accept the award for anybody who wins a Saber Analytics award. So
0: That's all the Eno info that's fit to print right there, folks
1: we will be back
0: wednesday because we have to be because Eno cannot record on friday he will be Be at this trip uh, or on his way to this trip so uh we'll be back in a couple days you know until then take care and get that al labor because i'm gonna grill you i'm gonna need some some great info so get your prep going for that we'll be back in two days to talk about it
1: that's right thanks for listening